0: Hey, this is Corby Taylor, host of the Wild Game Hunting Podcast, and you're listening to another great episode of one of my absolute favorite hunting podcasts, the Turkey Hunter Podcast with Andy Galliano.
1: where my handle is at turkey hitman, and I will be sure to follow you back. And now for this week's show. Hello, and welcome back to part two of episode 25 hunting lockjawed gobblers with Corby Taylor. Before we get into this week's episode, I'm still doing the countdown until turkey season in Alabama. We are 10 days, 8 hours, 22 minutes, and 2 seconds from opening day of turkey season. I'm actually going with a friend of mine and his son for youth season, which starts Saturday. So technically I'll be in the woods turkey hunting without a gun in two days. And I'm pretty pumped up about that. My buddy's son, whom if you've listened to every one of these episodes, you know already, he is Ethan. And you can catch the story of Ethan's turkey in episode 13, another hilarious turkey hunting story. So listen to that episode and you'll know what my weekend is going to be like with this young hunter. He's a trip, but I'm pretty excited about that. Ethan actually has a goal, which is awesome. We should all have goals when we go into the woods. Ethan's goal is to kill a turkey with each of his dad's buddies who turkey hunt. And I think that's a fantastic goal, especially for a 12 year old kid because he's going to be exposed to several different turkey hunting styles, several different turkey calling styles, and from there he will take some of those different strategies, take some of those different styles with him, and he'll become his own hunter. But I think it's just awesome that he wants to kill a turkey with each one of his dad's turkey hunting buddies and do that over the years. So he has chosen to tag along with me a good bit this year, to try to kill a turkey with me. Hopefully we'll be able to get it done quickly for his sake so he doesn't have to put up with me for too long. But I'm excited about going this weekend, even though I'm not toting a gun, it still will be great to be out in the spring woods. The weather's supposed to be awesome, so I'm fired up about that. Now, before we get into part two of episode 25, I had some audio issues still with Skype on this part of the call with Corby. So again, I have not started fun with editing early. It's short, intermittent audio issues. And just like last week's episode, the content that Corby shares with us is well worth listening to a little bit of static here and there. And I think you guys are really gonna enjoy it. In this episode, he's gonna tell us a little bit about his calling strategies for lockjawed gobblers. And he's gonna share a great story, which is his most memorable turkey hunt. And for those of you that listen to the show regularly, you know that I ask the guests on my show to share the story of their most recent turkey kill. But I didn't do that with Corby because you can listen to Corby's podcast episode where he talks about his most recent turkey hunting kill. So I asked Corby to share with us the story of his most memorable turkey hunt. And man, it does not disappoint. It is a great story. Corby's a great storyteller as well. So I think you're really gonna enjoy this. Now, we're going to go ahead and get into this week's episode. Don't forget, fun with editing starts after the turkey flop at the end of the episode. I look forward to seeing you guys on the other side, and I hope you enjoyed as much as I did recording it. Are you changing up your calling techniques? Do you have different calling strategy when the gobblers are quieter?
0: You know, when it comes to calling, there's actually a lot of different theories out there, but here's what I believe and what I usually do, and especially when they're quiet out there in the woods. I like to call sparingly, and basically if the hens aren't talking and the gobblers aren't gobbling back to them, then there's really no need to be calling a lot because what we want to do, the ideal thing is we want to mimic what the birds are doing naturally. So if it's a time of the year when hens are going crazy and the gobblers are responding to everything, then you know what? I'm going to call more. But if it's that time of the year when they're quieter or whatever reason, they're not responding well, then I'm going to call sparingly. Now, the only difference would be, like I said, is if I heard a hen calling back to me, then I'll try to call her to me. But generally, if the woods are quiet, I'm not going to call a whole lot because he knows that if all the other hens in the woods are not calling very much and you got this one crazy lady yelling her head off, he's going to be a little, (laughs) little leery about going over to her. So yeah, I'd say call. Sparingly, And probably the best thing to do is to just try different calls. And what I mean by that is the literal call itself, like a box call, mouth call. I call them slate calls, but the friction, pot peg style calls, tube calls, wing bone calls. I've got some wing bone calls. I've never actually called in a turkey with one yet, but they're cool. I have some <laughs> and yeah. made some out of a tom that my son shot a few years back. But oh, cool. yeah, I've heard people say that they've called in a silent gobbler that wouldn't respond to anything else with the wing bone just because it was something a little bit different just a little bit different I sound something different that they've heard all through the year so anyway yeah i would suggest trying different calls every time i go out in the woods i've got a box call i've got a slate call mouth call and those are for sure what i've got in my turkey vest so that if one thing's not working i can try another one so try them all see what happens that's what i say
1: yeah a lot of the older hunters swear by the wing bone calls for that very reason because they say well no one else is using them and they do sound like a hen, and they're very quiet, and that when a gobbler's had a lot of pressure on him, he may be gobbling, he may not. If he is gobbling, he's not coming in, and if he's not gobbling, then he's just hard to find, and a lot of those older hunters swear by a wingbone call, and I'm, I'm like you. I'm not real good at it, but I've made my mind up. This year, I'm going to focus on Really learning how to use a tube call mm-hmm. and really learning how to use a wingbone call myself.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mentioned that wingbone call that we made for my son's Tommy shot Kansas a few years ago. And it was kind of cool because I posted a picture of it on the podcast Facebook page. And uh, uh-huh. one of the listeners had shown me something that he had like taken a wood burning thing and etched some turkey tracks and other stuff. And so anyway, I sent it to him and he did it for free and he put Hudson's name awesome. in there today, and some turkey tracks. And so I actually have it displayed in my office right now. Hudson doesn't even. Have in his room but uh, yeah and there's something about it one day I will kill a bird with a wing bone and it's just going to be so cool because you killed a bird with something that came out of another bird that's just kind of really cool to me it
1: is is, no doubt about it well you mentioned the story of your biggest turkey to date and usually this is part of the show where I ask the question of tell me the story of your most recent successful turkey hunt and the one or two things that made that hunt successful but I'm not going to ask you that today because if someone wants to hear that story, they can go and listen to your podcast back from April yep. where you share that story, and it's a great story. And that's one thing that I like a whole lot about Corby's podcast is he is a very good storyteller, and he will tell you exactly how he killed that turkey and how he and Hudson both gill turkeys yeah. that day so yeah. i just pulled it a little yeah. bit yeah
0: it's a little teaser you, little trailer yeah. there so yeah go exactly. check it out
1: <laughs> it, the end of the story results in flopping turkeys that's so right. that's a good thing <laughs> but go check that podcast out if you want to hear that story so corby i'm going to ask you something a little bit different tell us the story of your most memorable turkey hunt And the one or two things that made that hunt so special for you.
0: All right. Well, I think my favorite hunt that I've ever been on in my entire life, I don't care what kind of animal it is, this tops it all. And it was a turkey hunt with my son. And I wasn't even hunting that day. It was going to be his first tom. He'd shot a, a jake down here in Texas when we lived here. And then, as I mentioned, we hmm. moved up to Kansas for a while. He decided, okay, I got my jake. I'm not going to go after jakes anymore. I want a tom. So, And, of course, there are also Rio Grande turkeys down here in Texas. And we were up in the eastern part of Kansas, so the eastern okay. subspecies of turkeys what we're after. And yeah. so we'd had permission to hunt this private land, and there's turkeys on it all the time. And we'd gotten out there, and I'd put my trail cameras up, like I said, and I'd figured out where they were crossing through every single night coming to roost right down the way from where I had my camera. And so Hudson, I got out there probably, it was like 3.30 in the afternoon. We still had two and a half hours till dark and I thought, well we'll get out there plenty of time. We had set up a pop-up blind for him to hunt out of so at that time I think he was nine or something like that, maybe eight or nine. He's, uh-huh. he's 12 now. I think he was nine and I had a pop-up blind set up for him so we can have a little bit of movement and not get busted. Right. And so we pull up to this place and this particular field that we were hunting on it was about 100 acres and the part that we were hunting on was a big field that was probably half of this acreage, so it's a, probably a 50-acre field. And at the top, sometimes a a field will kind of have a crest in the middle of the field where it kind of rises up a couple of feet, you know what I mean? Uh And so this was a pretty good rise, pretty good crest in the hill. So I'd say it's probably about four foot. So when you're on one side of the field and you're looking all the way across to the other side of the field, you couldn't see what was over there. I mean, you probably could have seen a person standing up, but you certainly couldn't see a turkey. And there was winter wheat planted in this particular field that we're in. And it was only probably up to our shins. So it's not even knee high. We're in this bright green grass that's, not, that's shin high, not even knee high, mm-hmm. and we pack all our gear up. Now, when I say all our gear, I'm notorious for taking way too many things out in the field every time I hunt. People make fun of me that I hunt with. I'll pack so much junk with me, you know, so we've got our backpack. <laughs> You're a prepper. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You never know what will happen out there. <laughs> we had a backpack. Probably had two backpacks. I had two bright red chairs that I was going to use in the blind. We had our shotgun. We had a little cooler thing with some snacks in it. So we had all this stuff we're going across the field in and I just stopped and I thought before we went over and started walking across the field, I better go ahead and get my binoculars out because who knows, there could be something on the other side of the field before we get there and we don't want to get busted. So, right. pulled out my binoculars and we're walking across this field. So, at this point, we are dead center in the middle of this field. I mean, as turkey hunters, we want to be concealed. We want to get behind some brush. We're going to get a tree between us, tree behind us, uh, lean up against a the tree. There's all those things that we try to do. So, we're out in the middle of this field with absolutely no cover and <laughs> the grass is Not even up to our knees And I'm going along About every 10, 15 yards I'd stop And I'd glass over there And see I could see a little bit further Every time we stopped And Mm -hmm. at one point I stopped We were right in the middle Of the field Like I said And I saw a hen and I told Hudson, let's get down. And I said, of course, we're not after hens, but if we scare her and she goes off yelling through the woods, telling every other turkey in the world to leave, that may mess up our even hunt. So I said, let's just hunker down here and let's just wait and wait till she goes on and hopefully can sneak into our blind before all the rest of them come in to go to the roost tree there later that evening. So we're waiting and waiting and about every two minutes, I'd kind of slowly raise up to my knees and glass again. And after we did that for about 10 or 15 minutes, next time I looked up, there were three big toms. <laughs> over oh, there wow. with her and I'm like oh no this this went from bad to worse I'm like if we could have just been here 30 minutes earlier we'd be because they were walking right in front of our pop-up line I mean right in front of it and we were like oh my gosh what are we you know what are we going to do here so Hudson's getting excited at this point he's like we just got here and there's turkeys already here you know he's getting uh-huh. all pumped up and I told him I said you know what there's no way we're going to get by with getting to them and there's no way we're going to get by with calling them to us because if they get over here there's no cover that we're going to get picked off and get busted I said I'm sorry but we're just gonna to wait until they leave and just be able to slide in there when they're gone so we waited and waited and we were probably there for another 20 or 25 minutes and i'd raise up every few minutes and check again see if they moved on and they were just strutting right back and forth in front of our pop-up blind just like rubbing it in you know (laughs) and a nine-year-old doesn't have as much patience as a 40-year-old like me. So he decided, <laughs> you know what? He said, why don't we just put our decoy out and see if we can call him over here. And sometimes you just got to do what your kids want to do and just have fun doing it. And I thought, you know what? Let's just try. I don't think we can stay down here in the middle of this field forever. Let's just see what happens. So I have a picture of him. that's one of my favorite pictures of him belly crawling out about 15 yards from us and putting this hen decoy up. Crab walking back to me and getting set up. And I said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. Awesome. We're in full camo. I'm going to lay down sideways, and I'm going to put all of our junk behind me <laughs> so that it won't be seen. And then I just want you to sit down, put your knees up, prop your gun up on your knees, and I'm going to call, and we're going to see what happens. And what we thought they were going to do is kind of make a swing out to the right and come over to the decoys kind of from an angle. And so, of course, he was sitting up at this point so he could see their heads. And so I pulled out my friction call, and I just gave some real soft yelps, and they just all three just hammered back at the same time. And I'm like, oh, no, this is fixed to get real and so he's watching he's kind of filling me in he's like well they're strutting around they're they're looking over here they're looking over here and they weren't coming so i went ahead and i gave one more call and again just all three of them hammered back at the same time and he said they're coming <laughs> of course i can't see them yet i just i just I'm, I'm getting the narrative here from my son who's ready to shoot so huh. they, they come they're coming and then they're about you know they're gobbling every few feet and coming in coming in and As I said, I thought they were going to swing out to the right, but they decided they were going to come right between us and the decoy. So they were going to cross in front of us at like six or seven yards. And I'm like, this is not going to work. I'm right behind Hudson kind of telling him what to do, walking him through it. When I saw him coming, I said, don't move because they were so close and we were out in the middle of this field with no cover. I thought the Mm -hmm. only chance we're going to have is to be completely still and just let them walk right in front of the barrel of your gun and pull the trigger. (laughs) I thought that was our only hope. So they were coming and they were about three steps away from being right in front of his gun barrel. And you know how when a turkey will not get totally scared, but they're nervous. They're like, something's not quite right here. You know what I mean? I, I'm sure you've yeah. experienced that out in the woods. And Too many times. Yeah, yeah. And it was kind of <laughs> like the, the do or die. It's like it's it's now or never kind of situation. I, I told Hudson, I said, just swing over and shoot. So he you know, he only had to move his gun barrel about eight inches, but I think just about took his head off. But he, he dropped one, and the bird's flopping, and we're high five and we're just like Man. amazed that we pulled off a hunt in the middle of a field with no cover and got his first tom and it was a nice time i don't remember exactly i think it was i think it was about a nine and a half ten inch beard and maybe a inch and three eight spurred or something like that probably weighed yeah. about 20 pounds so it was a nice bird but anyway that was one of my most memorable hunts for a couple of reasons one just that we kind of defied the odds so to speak by right. hunting a bird out in the middle of the field like this with without any cover also because it, i was with my son obviously that made it special but that was his first time and we'll always remember his first time that he ever shot in in a pretty cool way
1: yeah and you killed it with him as the guide that's right <laughs> yeah i never thought about that way he was
0: he was the guide and the hunter so
1: <laughs> it doesn't get any better than that that's
0: right that's right so it was Man. a lot of fun it was a lot of fun
1: That's awesome. Well, I don't want to keep you too much longer tonight, but I do appreciate your time that you spent with us. Is there anything else now that you want to share about Lockjaw Gobblers and anything that you think we've left out that we need to cover at this point?
0: You know, I think we've covered quite a bit. I will just close with this statement. Just because you can't hear him doesn't mean he's not coming if you'll kind of lock that away in your back of your brain and and use that whenever the woods are quiet and the gobblers don't seem to want to cooperate with you, just know that he may be coming. He may not be talking, but he may be coming. And if you'll just be patient, you may pull off a great hunt.
1: Very true. A good friend of mine says multiple times during turkey season that turkey hunting is filled with highs and lows, and you never know when the highs are going to happen.
0: That's right. That's right. And
1: it's very true. A bad hunt, I can't say bad hunt because I think we lose perspective on what a really bad hunt is. When we go home and we're safe, that's been a good hunt Mm -hmm. when we make it home safely but when we go on those hunts where the turkeys aren't responding they can turn into a really great hunt where a turkey is responding and ends up a few minutes later flopping in front of your gun barrel about 20 or 25 yards from you they can turn to that in a hurry
0: absolutely yeah things can turn around awfully quick in the turkey woods
1: yeah no doubt well tell us about the wild game hunting podcast Well before I let you go. Yeah, you
0: bet I'd love to. I appreciate that. This summer will be the fourth year of me doing the podcast and I'm a pastor and obviously just wanted to to take any opportunity I can to tell people about that God created them for a purpose and has a plan for everyone's life. And so two things that I loved a lot, of course my family I love a lot as well, but two things that I love was I love God and I love hunting. And so what I wanted to do was just felt like God gave me a vision of template, if you will, for the podcast is an opportunity to help people become better hunters, but also to help them understand how to grow in a relationship with God and just to be able to trust him with very, areas of, of their lives. And so in every episode, I interview a professional hunter and interviewed Harold Knight. I think he's been on your show recently. And yes. um, Hank Parker, Chris Parrish, Rod Pettit, Scott Ellis, those are maybe some names if you're a turkey hunter you've heard of. And I cover all sorts of topics from turkey hunting to deer hunting to elk hunting. Of course, being that I love turkey hunting so much, there's quite a few episodes on turkey hunting. But every episode, I interview a professional hunter on a particular topic and pick their brain. And of course, they they know so much more than I do, so I'm learning as much as, you know, the listeners are when I interview these guys. Then I'll also just update people on my hunts, what I hunted, and if I was successful in shooting something or not. And then every episode, I also have what's called a lesson from the field. And the lesson from the field is where I tell a story of a day that I was out hunting. And I may or may not have shot something, and that's really not the point. But, you know, as hunters, we like to hear a good hunting story. You know, I woke up, and it was dark, and I walked out to the woods, and I found a tree to lean up against. And the, before it was even light, the turkeys were gobbling, and you just love to hear the story. And so I tell a story of a day that I was out hunting. And then I share what God showed me as a result of being out in the woods that day. And so just to encourage people just to trust God, as I said, with various areas of their lives. And so, man, it's been fun. I always joke around that the whole technical side of podcasting was something that I just (laughs) did not know anything about, like all the microphones and the computers and how do you record and how do you get on iTunes. But I did know that I had a message I wanted to share and I loved hunting and I wanted to help people become better hunters. And it's doing really well, so I'm having a lot of fun doing it.
1: That's awesome. The show is really good. If anybody's listening to this show has not listened to it, I highly recommend that you do that. That you go on iTunes and listen to Corby's show. And after you listen to it, get on there and leave him a five star rating and a wonderful review. It is a very good show, and he does have some excellent guests on there. I think the listeners gonna have a hard time tuning into your show and not learning something. Yeah. If they're tuning into your show and they're not learning something, they've muted <laughs> their phone <Yeah. laughs> or the computer.
0: That's right. That's right. It's a lot of good stuff in every episode.
1: Definitely. Well tell us how we can find you.
0: Yeah, well like you said, if you'll go to iTunes and just search Wild Game Hunting Podcast, you can pull it up there. Also on Facebook, we're at Facebook.com forward slash Wild Game Hunting Podcast. On Twitter, you can follow us at WGH underscore podcast, and so we'd love for you to check it out, give it a listen, and love to hear from you.
1: Fantastic. Corby, thank you very much for coming on tonight, sharing your knowledge of gobblers who just won't talk to us and how to hunt those birds. I really appreciate you doing that, and I know that the listeners to this show are going to find a lot of value in it. And for that, I thank you.
0: Well, I appreciate the opportunity to be on the show, Andy, and congratulations on all the success of your show. I know that when I saw it pop up in iTunes, I guess it's been about a year ago now, I saw a turkey hunting podcast. I'm like, I need to check that out, and glad I did. You put together a great show. Thank you. Informative, entertaining, and definitely one of my most listened to podcasts, so appreciate the opportunity to be on with you today
1: absolutely glad to have you and love to have you back with a, another great turkey hunting story after the spring
0: yeah that'd be great let's do that
1: fantastic corby have a great night buddy all i appreciate it all right
0: thank you i appreciate it
1: we'll talk soon all right all right goodbye all right thanks for tuning in i hope you guys enjoyed the rest of the interview with corby He really is a great guy. He's very passionate about turkey hunting. I think that we got some great information from him as well about hunting those turkeys that are just not cooperating and just not playing fair. And I hope that you're able to use some of that information this year to have more success in the turkey woods. Speaking of success in the turkey woods, I get phone calls, emails, and messages on Facebook pretty often from you guys wondering where you can go to kill these different subspecies of turkeys. Some of you want to either start or finish a grand slam. Some of you just want to extend your season, either on the front end or the back end of your state season by traveling out of state to hunt. And some of you just want to go hunt some different turkeys somewhere. Well, I actually just released my ebook that I wrote this summer. And after going through and fine-tuning the book several times, I've got it up live. It is available for purchase. It is www.DIY, that's short for do-it-yourself, DIYmerriamsturkeyhunt.com, DIYmerriamsturkeyhunt.com. That's where you can go buy the book. But let me tell you a little bit about the book before you go to the site. I wanted to write a guidebook that I could provide you guys so that you would have all of the information that you need to go from sitting in your living room on your computer or tablet to actually having a trip booked out of state to go on a Miriam's Turkey Hunt. In this guidebook, I cover everything from soup to nuts on what you need to do to go on this trip where I went. I'm going to tell you what airports to fly into, where to rent a car from, what airlines actually fly into those airports. I'm going to tell you what kind of car to rent. I'm going to tell you where you can stay. I'm going to tell you what calls to bring, what clothes to bring, what boots to bring. I'm going to tell you where you can find turkeys. I'm going to tell you how to hunt those turkeys. I'm going to tell you how to call those turkeys. I'm showing you everything you need to know to go out of state on public land and at least have the opportunity to kill turkeys. Now, when my friends and I, we go on these trips, we typically will spend at least one day and sometimes two or three days looking for turkeys, trying to find turkeys, trying to figure out how to kill those turkeys once we find them. I've done all of this for you. I've got it printed out in a book. If you take this guidebook, and you follow it from start to finish, step by step. There is no reason why this spring in May you couldn't be hunting public land by yourself with no guide and be surrounded by unpressured gobbling Merriam's turkeys. So if you think that you're ready to take on that out of state trip, you think you're ready to complete your Grand Slam or start your Grand Slam, and you wanna do it with one of the prettiest turkeys that are out there, buy my guidebook www.diymaryamsturkeyhunt.com After you buy the book, be sure to shoot me an email. Let me know what you think about it. I love hearing your feedback. I think you'll enjoy it and you will have one heck of a time on the trip. I will promise you that. Now, don't forget that at the very end of the episode, after the turkey flop, we'll have another quick little episode of fun with editing. And also... Next week, I have a show that you do not want to miss. If you've ever heard of Southern Boys Outdoors, I have interviewed Kenyon Bankston and Leon Tilly with Southern Boys Outdoors. They're going to talk to us about how we can get kids interested in turkey hunting. And not only that, how we can keep them interested in turkey hunting. And I've got a couple of friends that I turkey hunt with a good bit who have sons that turkey hunt with them. and I have to remind myself when we're all hunting together that it's not all about the turkey kill. I sometimes find myself trying so hard to get these two kids turkeys that I forget that it's not all about the turkey. It's about the hunt. It's about the experience. It's about having a good time in the woods when you're not on turkeys. And those are some of the things that we talk about in this upcoming episode with Kenyon and Leon. I want to thank you guys for tuning in. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week. Hey, and welcome back to Fun with Editing. This is a new segment that I'm doing at the end of each show where I take certain parts of the interview and have a little bit of fun with the audio editing software that I use. It's a short clip that I'm doing at the end of the show each week I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I do putting it together. And now, since you've listened to the show in its entirety, you already know that no animals were harmed in the recording of this part of the show and that the thoughts and opinions expressed in Fun With The Editing are not necessarily the thoughts and opinions of the Turkey Hunter podcast, its affiliates, or its guests. All clips played in this part of the show are fake. You never heard this here. Enjoy.
0: The treep and the grass... Those are for sure what I've got in my turkey vest. There were three big toms. Crab walking back to me, I'm like, oh no, this is fixing to get real.
1: And you killed it multiple times with him as the guide, and you never know when the highs are going to happen. good friend of mine says during turkey season that
0: I'm going to lay down sideways in the middle of this field with absolutely no cover, and then I just want you to sit down, and he's yelling through the woods, they're coming. If one thing's not working, I can try another one. And I'm yeah. like, this is not going to work. Sometimes you just got to do what your kids want to do and just have fun doing it. But try them all and see what happens. That's what I say.
1: And the end of the story results in flopping turkeys. It doesn't get any better than that.
0: That's right.